Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and on board our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week to be inspired and encouraged by stories of life-changing hope and healing. I'm your host, Rayanne Newquist, and this is New Mercies. Sean Thompson was only two years old when his family moved to Nicaragua to begin their Mercy Ships adventure. Growing up around the organization, Sean hit a moment in his adult life when he had to decide if Mercy Ships was his family's thing or if it was his own. Sharing candidly about growing up with Mercy Ships, here is my interview with Sean Thompson. Sean, welcome to New Mercies. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Sean, I know that you have a long history with Mercy Ships, and that's always fun to hear about people who have stories from way back when, even though you yourself are not very old. Why don't you tell us how you first got involved with Mercy Ships? When I was two years old, my family was living on the coast of Wilmington, North Carolina, and my dad had a job there, and I'm the youngest of four, so my mom was taking care of the kids, and she might have been working as well. I, I don't even know that part of the story, but I was two. So they, <laughs> if she had four kids, she was working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back in the day, Mercy Ships would have PR tours where their ships would visit different ports in the U.S. Uh, or other places. And this specific ship, the Caribbean Mercy, came and visited North Carolina. And my parents mm. thought it'd be a fun day trip to go check out this hospital ship. The rest is kind of history. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, as soon as they both stepped on board individually, felt a calling on their life. And the Lord wow. just saying, this is what I have for you. They mm. both were very on the same page that Mercy Ships was what was next for them. So yeah, wow. when I was two, my my parents signed up for Mercy Ships. My parents quit their jobs and moved to, well, long story short, ended up in Nicaragua, which is hmm. in Central America. So wow. we were in 1997, I was three years old, and we uh, moved to Leon, Nicaragua. And uh, we were stationed there for about seven years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So a lot of people probably don't know that Mercy Ships did not start out in West Africa, where we are today. Can you tell us a little bit about the initial mission that was in South America? Mercy Ships goes back to 1978, as as you've talked about with other people on this podcast. I'm not the historian. Yeah, so we started out with doing a bunch of different things, different missions, and we would in Nicaragua, we would host short-term missions trips. We would partner with other organizations or projects. In Nicaragua, we were partnering with a specific prosthetics um, project at the hmm. beginning. And then what we ended up doing a lot of while we were there, well, my parents, <laughs> I was just in school. So um, <laughs> we ended up doing a lot of disaster relief because hmm. and disaster response because in 1998, Hurricane Mitch, uh, it was this big hurricane and it hit uh, Nicaragua pretty, pretty hard and ended up causing this huge mudslide that took out a bunch of villages, a lot of lives lost and damage. So my, my dad ended up spearheading a lot of these disaster response, especially for mercy ships and, and leading that effort, which is a really cool story of kind of bringing him into his, his call 
further call towards uh, and passion to disaster response, which is kind of the direction his life has has gone since then. But oh, interesting. Now, back at that time, did you guys live on board the ship? We did not live on board. So before Mercy Ships decided to be really ship focused, there were mm-hmm. um, some different land bases, and so my parents were running this land base in Nicaragua. So. Okay. We would visit the ship every once in a while when the Caribbean Mercy would dock uh, in the port on the east side of the country. We were more on the west side of the country, and we would okay. go visit for a week or two and, and fellowship and connect there. So those were my only experiences on an actual Mercy ship as a child. But the rest okay. were all, it was just our family and some other people um, hosting teams from all over the world, building houses, drilling wells doing all kinds of what would you what you would consider a, a short-term a typical short-term mission trip nowadays okay but this was all under the umbrella of mercy ships correct wow so obviously the organization and the mission has evolved over time now we primarily just focus on the medical side so when that caribbean mercy would pull in were they doing medical things then yes so they were Doing a variety of things, but still the the main focus for the ships at that point was to provide surgical care. So they would do eye clinics and surgeries, um, either off ship or on ship. I remember one of my first memories of, of Mercy Ships being on an actual ship was they used to broadcast this, the eye surgeries on the TVs in the hallway. Oh, oh my so gosh. on some of them. And I just remember being a small child and seeing this person's cataract getting removed, which is incredible and fascinating. And I've since been in the OR when they're doing this and it's so fascinating, but being in the hallway, seeing someone's cataract (laughs) being removed was a very unique memory and just not what you expect to see as a five-year-old and walking down the the hallway. (laughs) That might be a little bit traumatizing. Let's be honest. Yeah, I survived. (laughs) Gosh, that's so interesting. Well, what was that like for you growing up in Nicaragua? And do you speak Spanish? No, I do not speak Spanish. I really should. My sisters, so I'm the youngest of four. My brother is the oldest. And then my two sisters are in the middle. Those sisters, or my only sisters really, speak Spanish fluently. And they would work as interpreters and stuff. Mm. Uh, My younger sister was a little too young to do that while we were in Nicaragua. But she's since gone back and and worked as an interpreter for people. But my brother knew enough. He says he just knew enough to get him <laughs> to get in trouble. And uh, <laughs> I just knew enough to be the cute little kid that people <laughs> let do whatever they wanted. So uh, I ended oh, up, I my, my parents put me in um, kindergarten or pre-K, I guess. And I didn't learn anything. I learned how to say, uh, hi, hola, adios, goodbye, or, uh, and, Something else. <laughs> so, I'm hungry. Else. I'm hungry. Uh, which I can't even tell you to say that now. I can understand a lot more than I can speak, but I'm not fluent by any means. So after about seven years in Nicaragua, then where did your family go to? Did you return to the United States? Yes. So in 2005, January 2005, um, Mercy Ships was moving more towards the ship-based model. So we mm-hmm. were uh, closing down some of these land bases. So um, my parents and our family ended up moving to Van, Texas, which is very close to the headquarters for Mercy Ships, uh, which is just down the road. 
So my dad ended up working in programs, uh, helping design the programs and the, the things that merchant ships would be doing on the ship and in the countries. And then my mom was in accounting. Yeah, your family just carried on with the Mercy Ships vision, which is pretty awesome. So aside from your childhood exposure to Mercy Ships, what really sparked you to want to work for Mercy Ships as an adult? What ended up happening is I I worked for Mercy Ships in high school and a little bit in college part-time, like in the um, dining room. I worked in the cafe on campus um, and Then in college, I worked a little bit in our marketing department because those were easy jobs to get. My parents worked there. A few of my siblings Mm -hmm. worked there at the time. It just made sense as something part-time to do. So long story short, I end up finishing school. I only did two years of school. got my associate's degree and decided I wanted to go travel. So Mm -hmm. I moved into my car and (laughs) I... And I drove around the States for five months in my car, Instagramming. So this was at the very beginning of Instagram. Uh, It was just starting to pick up. And I had been really involved in the community at the beginning stages before it looked like what it looks like today, where everyone has an account and they're sharing things about their life. At the beginning, it was more community and specific types of people and people that were excited about photography and meeting each other. So I was Mm -hmm. real involved in that scene uh, in 2011, 2012, 13, 14, that three or four year part there. And I ended up getting a whole bunch of followers. I went to all these Insta meets, as they were called, where you'd meet up with people and do photo walks and all this stuff. I ended up getting suggested by Instagram, which means when you made an account, for the first time, they'd be like, hey, follow these people to start out. And I was on wow. that list for a while. I ended mm. up getting just a lot of followers and decided, okay, I want to meet these people that I've been I've been hanging out with online and either meeting in person at an Insta meet or whatever. So I ended up moving in my car and meeting a lot of these people, going and staying with them, them hosting me and Wow, taking me to their favorite <laughs> spots. And uh, so I, I did that for five months. It was supposed to be a year. That was the goal, 50 states in a year. But mm-hmm. uh, I got, I ended up getting pretty lonely, really like three, four months in. And because I was doing it by myself. Yeah. And yeah, I just kind of got tired of introducing myself every day. Didn't have an inside joke or anything with anyone, I would end up making a joke about an experience I had with someone the day before, and it was not the same person and just wasn't. So I ended up going home, I got home Thanksgiving, 2014, Thanksgiving morning. And then I, the following Monday, started uh, working at Mercy Ships, because it was an easy place to get a job. And I had by the time I got my first paycheck, I had $2 and 42 cents in my bank account. (laughs) Oh, gracious. Well, what was that job that you took? So I I started a job in donor services, which is our department that receives donations uh, from people for Mercy Ships. Okay. And then do we say the rest is history? Are you still working with donor services or what happened after that? So I think the next thing that, that happened there, I ended up working for Mercy Ships for two and a half years. 
Uh, I moved over to marketing shortly thereafter, about six months after I got there. And at the end of 2016, so this is about two years into it, my my mom stopped working at Mercy Ships and my dad had previously stopped working at Mercy Ships Hmm. uh, the year before. So at that point, there once was five of us working there between my siblings, their spouses, my parents. And then at January 1st, 2017, it was just me. So up until this point, I'm, I think I'm 22. So up until this point, Mercy Ships has been my family's thing. I've just been kind of along for the ride. I've been working there and I'm enjoying it, but my mom's still there. So it's still a family thing. Right. But once, once my mom left, I really, I just started to think and question and yeah, like what you're saying, I never, I never set out to work for Mercy Ships. Mm -hmm. So I had this realization that, okay, I'm the last one working here. This is either my family's thing or it's now my thing. Wow. Yeah. So in the midst of trying to pray through that and figure out kind of what the Lord has for me in my life in general, um, I was I was thinking about, about that. I was thinking about mercy ships. What do I do with this part of my life that really has been part of my whole life? Um, there's this photography thing that I've picked up uh, through Instagram experience and through my road trip and hanging out with other people that are photographers and, and wanting to do more of that, but not knowing how that fits, but not wanting to be a full-time photographer in the traditional sense, like doing weddings and all of that. <laughs> and then there's this travel. I still had a desire to travel. I wanted to finish my road trip or do something. So one day during uh, our weekly community meeting, we have a weekly community meeting, uh, on the on campus at Mercy Ships, and at that meeting, someone went up from HR as they normally do, and they were talking about critical needs that we have on our ships uh, and immediate opportunities that people had to fill these needs, and one of those was photographer. Wow! So as soon as um, as soon as they said that, I just felt in my spirit something, well, the Holy Spirit say, "Hey." have you thought about that? Hmm. And I, this, I've told people this story before and it just sounds so crazy, but before that moment, I had never once thought about volunteering for mercy ships. Wow. That's so So, interesting. (laughs) And I'm 22, 23 and been involved with mercy ships my whole entire life. I thought, okay, I want to go visit one of the ships as an adult. I'd love to see it, but never once had even even dismissed the thought of volunteering, Mm -hmm. just never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting that you would say that because it really speaks to how different it is to work on board and to work remotely, whether that's supporting our ships, supporting the mission in Texas or really all over the world. We all have the same mission, right? And we all have the same objective, but yet when we're geographically so different, it really gives a whole different experience. So I can only imagine you having been exposed to mercy ships your whole life, um, all of a sudden going, wait a minute, why don't I go as an adult? And, And what was that like for you when you first got on board as a volunteer? Yeah. So 
the next couple months after saying yes and going towards the ship and all of the doors just flying open, ended up meeting my team in Texas for training. And then we all flew to the ship and walking up the gangway for the first time was just this, this word is, <laughs> this word is so overused and I get annoyed by it, but I can't say anything other than it was surreal. I had seen so many pictures of the work that we've done. I'd seen it as a child, but I, it just was different as an adult and knowing that I was supposed to be there in this time for this purpose. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I was uh, at the very, <laughs> to be transparent at the first, one of the first thoughts as well was, oh my gosh, what have I done with my life? <laughs> what am I doing? Because I mean, I just packed up my life. I said goodbye to my family, my friends, uh, quit my job, all of this stuff within a, within a period of two months. And now here I'm on a ship about to go. We were in, in Spain, but we were about to go to Cameroon in Central Africa, on the coast of Central Africa. So yeah, the first 24 hours, I was uh, freaking out a little bit <laughs> because, I mean, it's just a huge change. And I was, what have I gotten myself into? But Well, think about how much more people feel that way who don't have your background. You know, so many of our crew get on board and this is their first exposure period, you know, but you having grown up with the mission and the ministry, you still felt like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And and you're getting on board. I assume the Africa Mercy, which was very different than the Caribbean Mercy. It's like a whole different ballgame. Yes. And as a child, the Caribbean Mercy looked huge. And <laughs> then, <laughs> which for perspectives, it's about four times as small as the Africa Mercy. So um, I could, don't quote me on that, but it is much smaller capacity-wise and length and gross tonnage, as they like to say, in the maritime industry. Wow. So what was that like for you to get on board? And you said you, you started in Cameroon as a photographer. Tell us about that. Yeah. So in 2017 in Cameroon, we, we arrived. My first experience is getting on the pilot boat and escorting us into the port. And I get on that and I'm seeing the ship sail in. I get on the dock before anyone else on the ship, because as a photographer, you just get all kinds of unique opportunities that most other people don't get to experience. So I was on the dock first. There's a bunch of people dancing and celebrating and singing and, and playing drums. And um, the team that was ahead of, ahead of us, well, the advanced team um, setting everything up was there and they all had matching clothes that had been made for them from African fabric. And um, it was just so amazing seeing the life um, and my first experience of being in Africa and feeling the excitement and um, yeah, the joy that many of their people and their culture just, um, just has. Wow. When was the moment that you really felt as an adult, as an individual, this is my calling, not my family's calling. So yeah, I would, <laughs> during our onboarding process, I think, and once I said yes to go, I think the Lord really brought a lot of clarity to my story in that by, by allowing me to be accepted, by, like I said earlier, throwing over, open every door possible, raising support. My We raise our own support to be on board. So my support was raised, no problem, so quickly, and just all of those. So 
it was just very evident to me that this is what the Lord had for me in this season. Um, so it was really easy to to say yes to, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing for now at the very least. Hmm. That's awesome. So you got to go and be a photographer on board. And I know that a lot of your um, photography really centers around the patients. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of your personal feelings of engaging patients and photographing them, but also tell us about the sensitivity with which Mercy Ships approaches photographing our patients. Before I went to the ship, I, I knew the work that we did. I knew about patients' lives being transformed through surgical intervention. But I think that these patients and even the volunteers were more just characters in my mm-hmm. mind that I, I sure. knew they were I knew they were real, but it didn't feel as real to me. But yeah. once I yeah, once I got on board and I'm meeting these patients, I'm seeing them on the dock and I'm I'm talking to them, I'm holding their hand in some some instances and really yeah, touching and feeling and getting to see that they're real people and mm-hmm. that they each have their own story. They each have their own desires and fears even. So all of it, all of the raw emotion of humanity really um, was, was, I was just getting to experience in a way that I didn't really expect. So it was challenging to um, connect sometimes because of a natural language barrier, because a lot of the countries we, we serve are French speaking in West Africa, or a lot of the patients that come in are from up country, which in Cameroon, we had, I believe, 212 local dialects. So there's so many different languages that people are speaking. So we often had to speak through interpreter. So establishing connection um, in a way to gain trust and have these people, yeah, really give you their story and, and trust you with their vulnerability and their insecurities mm-hmm. um, was really one of the most challenging parts, but also one of the most rewarding because I just got to step outside of my comfort zone and try to just be with with these people. And words aren't enough a lot of the times to to relate to someone or to try to comfort someone. So just being there um, with the patients, especially right after surgery, this one time with uh, this girl named uh, Aziatu. She was uh, a little younger than me, but old enough uh, that she didn't have a, a parent with her. Uh, so after the surgery, I was able to go in there and just like hold her hand for like an hour. And she just wouldn't let go and just wanted someone to comfort her, whether, and we couldn't, we couldn't talk, but except simple, simple things. Um, I ended up picking up a little bit of French, but not like my Spanish, not enough to really <laughs> do a whole lot, but even just the simple act of, of, of touch, I just learned to really uh, see the value in, in, uh, in that, in letting people know, Hey, I'm here for you. Um, I see you and mm. it's, it's okay. Yeah. Wow. What a privilege, you know, and like you mentioned, to be welcomed into that space where they're being very vulnerable 
very vulnerable with their disfigurements and that has caused them, a lot of them, shame and being ostracized from their families or their village. And then to just be fully exposed to a stranger with their disfigurements or issues, um, it's really a vulnerable place, which kind of begs the question then, why do we have photographers on board to really capture the moments of this journey? Mercy Ships is a nonprofit organization. So we uh, run our operations through donations from people and uh, we operate our ships, the manpower through volunteers. So in order for people to donate to Mercy Ships or to volunteer for Mercy Ships, you have to hear about Mercy Ships. You have to mm-hmm. see the work that's going on. So yeah. the role of communications on board uh, as the photographers, the, the writers, videographers, our job is to tell the stories and to show, document the transformation that is taking place, um, not only in the patients' lives, but also the volunteers um, yeah. and the the medical training programs that we get to be a part of and the the infrastructure development. We get to uh, partner with the countries to not just make an impact in one person's life, but hopefully in the healthcare system uh, as a whole in that country. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've said a million times that an image is really worth more than words. You know, for someone to be able to see a before and after photo is quite incredible. I know that the approach of our photographers on board our ships is very sensitive and they really have the desire to maintain the dignity of our patients. So in no way, shape or form, our patients photographed without their consent. They do consent to have their images taken. And I know that there is just a lot of compassion. You're, you're even mentioning this one patient, Asiatu, that you got to hold her hand. There was more than just, let me come in and capture a photo, but to be with these beautiful people, to relate with them and to care for them in these vulnerable times is something that our photographers and videographers do really well. So we just appreciate that work and the sensitivity that Mercy Ships has in approaching a sensitive subject. And I know that Mercy Ships really has the commitment to maintain the dignity of our patients. I know that we approach photography and videography of our patients in a, in a very sensitive way. Can you talk about that a little bit? The way we approach photography and videography and storytelling in general is not to shock or to show graphic images to compel people to give or to feel a certain way. The way we try to tell the stories is is by honoring the patients and, and giving them dignity, like you said, by showing their condition in such a way that is respectful and not graphic or shocking, but is honoring, but also honest and authentic so that we aren't making it worse than it seems. We aren't trying to um, invoke pity or make the patient feel any more shameful than they already do about their condition. So we really try to approach telling these stories visually in a, in a uh, gentle way and through a cultural lens as well. So working alongside our, our translator, who is also our, our, our cultural guide to, to let us know what we're doing or what we're saying or to help us um, not offend and to really build trust. When these patients see 
or if they see these pictures or they see this video online, because a lot of our patients have access to phones or to the internet. And if they see these stories themselves, that they'll know that we told the story accurately and they can, they can feel even better about the way that they were vulnerable with us and, and what they trusted to Mercy Ships. Sean, you mentioned earlier that there are some things that photographers get to do that most people don't get to do. You get some kind of crazy access. Can you tell us a little bit about that and some fun adventures you got to take as a photographer? Being in an OR, an operating room, while surgeons are <laughs> performing surgery on a, on oh a patient, gosh. that is not something I thought I would ever experience. Um, my first time going in there while we were training, just getting our first exposure, seeing how we racked, making sure we don't pass out and, yes. and cause uh, oh. <laughs> a concern for the success <laughs> of the operation. Uh, it was an orthopedic surgery, which is uh, on your legs. So a lot of our patients that come in in this program have bowed legs or this specific patient had quadriceps contracture. It means his leg was going the opposite way at his knee. So instead of bending backwards, it was going forwards. So I didn't pass out. At least I don't remember okay. passing out. I don't know if people <laughs> usually remember doing that. <laughs> no one seemed to overreact. So I think I did okay. Wow. But, Are there uh, some other places that you got to go and see? Yeah. So on the ship, pretty much every corner of the ship in the engine room, uh, all through the hospital, um, a lot of different cabin types and um, offices and pretty much any part of the ship you can imagine I've I've been in it at least on that ship we we have several ships now but hmm. on ship and also off ship uh, I'll tell one quick I'll try to be quick story of um we did this uh, home visit for this patient um, called Musa and we had uh we just traveled three days journey drive um up into the upcountry of Guinea and we had been a part of the screening we'd covered some of the patient screening that had happened where we were looking for patients, our, our screening team was looking for potential patients and, and giving them appointments. And we met this, this guy named Musa, who's about 60, and he had a very large maxillofacial tumor. Uh, so we connected with him, looked like he was going to be able to have surgery. So he had his appointment and we, we got his address, if you will. There's not a whole lot of physical addresses uh, in that part of the world. but And we agreed that we'd meet up with him in two days' time because we were meeting up with another patient the next day. So we thought that'd give him plenty of time to make his way back, and then we'd just meet him at the village. So we end up not really knowing where this village is, but we had a, a pretty good idea. So we drove two hours outside of this bigger city on dirt roads, uh, towards the direction we thought it was. And once we got closer, we ended up asking people on the side of the road, hey, do you know where Manankorani is? And they're like, yeah, I think it's this way. And so we just bounce between all these different people that kind of point us in this direction. We end up getting close enough that this guy hops on a motorcycle and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take you there. But he's saying something else about like, it's not easy to get to, but we don't really understand exactly <laughs> what he's saying until we pull up and the road just ends into a river. So oh my goodness. the road just T-bones this, this very large river. And he's like, yeah, so it's over there. 
and he's like, this, <laughs> this canoe can take you over. So there's really, oh my gosh, this canoe that was impressively able to take his bike on ahead of us on the canoe and then come back and grab us and all of our equipment. We leave our, our, uh, our land cruiser there and we take all the equipment we think we'll need. We make it across the, on this little canoe and then we wait for a few minutes and then we end up getting picked up by these, these motos, these motorbikes. And we ride six kilometers in through the, the terrain of through like the forest basically and um, end up pulling up on this village and there's these like clay huts everywhere and it's just very obvious that they don't get many visitors especially ones that don't look like them so we (laughs) we stood out (laughs) quite a bit so we pull up and it becomes very evident to us uh, very quickly that Musa did not make it there before us oh no So, so now we're in the middle of seemingly nowhere uh, after this crazy journey and the patient that we have come to visit and tell his story, what his life's like before surgery is not even there. So, Oh gosh. And you probably don't know when he's going to show up. Oh, absolutely. No idea. He doesn't have a phone about 15, 20 minutes go by and we hear a moto coming and I just pull out my, my phone. We've been kind of, doing a personal behind the scenes of this whole adventure because it just been crazy. And I pull mm-hmm. up my phone. I'm like, I wonder if that's him. And he pulls up on the back of a oh, moto. Oh my gosh. And so we're all like, Oh, he's here. So we ended up, we bought him a phone um, and brought it to him. So we gave him the phone. We're like, all right, next time, this is how we're going to contact you. <laughs> and then we ended up doing the home visit and uh, getting to hear about his story and meet his family and, Ended up being a great trip. Then we had to reverse everything in the dark later that evening. Oh my gosh! But but we ended up getting uh, a really cool behind the scenes video that the team gets to look at every once in a while and remember that journey. But that was that was one of the the craziest craziest experiences that I definitely wouldn't have been able to experience if, if I wasn't uh, on the communications team. Sure, absolutely. Well, tell us what the village was like. I know we hear a lot and even we see some images and movies and stuff. What was this village like? And was was it shocking to you or were you surprised? Growing up in Nicaragua, I was pretty used to seeing communities and villages that were not as well off as um, you would normally see in, in the Western world. So it wasn't shocking per se for me. Um, it was more from a photographer's standpoint, really cool because mm. these clay huts and they were very well constructed and their roofs were kind of domed and with straw and uh, everything was really clean. Like they take a lot of pride in, in their their landscaping. So they everything was swept and um, it was a very in order village and really looked really cool on, on film, but very simple, very simple living. Um, their meals look very similar all the time. Their their professions look like farming or crafting or manual labor type things um, with simple materials, and but all very capable and um, yeah, very close knit community. Everyone everyone came out to see what was going on and and to be a part of it, and so it was very cool. 
Gosh, that's really neat. And what a what an adventure to get to go experience where these patients are living and the communities that surround them. Because it's really different when they come on board the ship. They're oftentimes, if they're adults, they're arriving alone. You know, if they're children, they'll have a caregiver with them. But it's hard to really kind of have the perspective of what their life is like off the ship that they get to return to after their surgery. So what a privilege, you know, as a photographer to get to see all that. Sean, I know that you spent a couple years on board as a photographer, and then you continue to work for Mercy Ships now back in Texas. It's been several years. Your whole Mercy Ships journey has been quite a few years. Can you tell us as we wrap up our time together, why do you continue to serve with Mercy Ships as you have made the decision years ago as an adult, like this is my calling, not just my family's, but why are you there today? Why do you continue? Yeah. So the work that Mercy Ships does is, is really inspiring um, to me. And I know to a lot of the people I work with where we just get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and get to provide this, this hope and this healing through our through our direct medical services and through our training to these people that otherwise might not have access to these surgeries or to this education to be able to better serve their own nations. So I love being a part of telling that story. So now mm-hmm. I'm I'm in global branding, which is uh, the side other side of communications that we get to support those storytelling and kind of take the baton from the communications team and, and um, further their work. So I love still getting to work with that team, but continue to, yeah, just tell stories that um, really inspire people to, to give, to go, or to pray for the work of Mercy Ships. Has your life been changed because of Mercy Ships? It's hard to say because I don't know life before Mercy Ships, but I can say that by being involved in this organization, especially from a young young age, I've developed a very different perspective than a lot of people my age in that I get to choose gratefulness in, in what I'm able to have, what I'm able to experience, um, the health that I'm able to enjoy, I just think it simply gives me a perspective that I have all that I could ever need in this in this world, um, and also uh, I serve a God that even if I don't have those things, that He will take care of me and He will He will sustain me and give me hope for a future. I love that. Well, Sean, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for all of your talents and gifts that you so freely share and really are making an impact. I love capturing the stories that you do and the photography that you have done. And I know you continue to direct from our photographers on board. It it, it really is making a huge difference. And so thank you for all that you do. And thank you for sharing with us a little bit about your Mercy Ships journey today. Thanks for having me. There's an adventure waiting for everyone, and yours might be with Mercy Ships. To volunteer with us, go to mercyships.org forward slash volunteer. Next week, come back to hear from Dr. Sandra Locko in Sierra Leone and the amazing things that God is doing in that beautiful country as she works alongside the crew of the Global Mercy. 